The theme is Abide in Me from John 15, verse 4. I'm going to read from the, the message. It's a, Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you, in the same way that a branch cannot bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you cannot produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who He is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. What God is saying is mi casa su casa. I don't know Spanish, and I probably said that wrong. <laughs> right, Enoch? <laughs> and uh, God is saying, I have come and made myself at home in you, and I invite you to make yourself at home in me. That make yourself at home is an interesting concept and uh, we can take liberties with it. And what happens in our life is that it's the little things that trip us up. Not the big things, it's the little stuff that causes wars and conflicts. So for example, if you come to our home and you observe in our bathroom that all the toilet paper is sitting this way with the roll coming down like this. As it should be. (laughs) But you think, no, 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 no. And you go around my whole house and switch it so it goes like this. Ah. Well, I can tell you who would win that fight this morning because the right side would win. You know, you can have people down in your home visiting regularly and chatting and having a great time, but if they go around changing this toilet paper every time, you're going to figure out the problem. The problem is that person comes and changes the toilet paper all the time. And you said to make yourself at home. Right? Mi casa su casa. And, and so I, I've discovered in life, my wife and I this summer are celebrating 45 years of marriage. And I often say we're, we're celebrating 35 good years together. <laughs> Too bad we've been married 45 years, right? We finally figured it out. The, but what happens is the little things in families and homes. We often say, too, what do fish and good company have in common? After three days, it's time, to, time for the company to go home. It's finished. And fish, well, fish can maybe last a little longer. But what happens is, you've talked about words and communications that happen, and one of the things about Jesus, we were told that He is the Word. And He's God's Word to us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and so He's the Word. And But we don't understand. We misunderstand each other regularly, and God gets misunderstood regularly. So, the years ago, I learned something that if you're 
Word is no good. If your handshake is not worth anything, your signature is not worth anything either. So somebody has to have a big legal contract for what you're doing. No, if your word isn't worth anything, your signature isn't either worth anything. So learn in life that your word is your bond. Don't make a commitment that you're not prepared to keep. And let it be known that when you give your word, that's it. You keep your word. Sometimes it'll cost you. Uh, And that's part of the process you have to go through. So there's the toilet paper. The other thing that happens is that we all live in a culture. Now, my wife and I are privileged that we spend half our time in Rwanda, and that culture is just a little different than this one. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it is. But the other thing we've had the privilege of doing is being friends to a Chinese family that moved into Steinbeck. And so we, of course, know that, or you should all know, that I saw in the pictures you guys went to the Mennonite Village Museum, and you learned how to cook. What did you learn to cook? Schnatcha? Schnatcha? <laughs> you see, that's what I'm talking about. That's the right kind of food for you guys to learn how to cook. Or chilcha or veranica, you know. This is it. This is good food, wholesome food. Unfortunately, not the whole world knows yet that that is the best food. And, and so we discover things. For example, this Chinese family in, in Steinbeck, they were here, and my wife were invited into their home for authentic Chinese meal. I got news for you, the Chinese restaurant does not have authentic Chinese food. So we went to their home, and they had uh, soy sauce on the table and a few other things, and then they served us a nice bowl of rice, and it smelled really, really good. So what do we do with rice when we have rice on the table, Right. We put soy sauce on it. That's why it's on the table. So I put soy sauce on the table, and this Chinese woman j- screamed. She jumped up, grabbed my plate, went to the garbage, scraped it off, washed it, wiped it, and put it down in front of me. I realized I had done a cultural faux pas. Something was wrong... And so upon investigation, I discovered that in the Chinese culture, when the the rice has gone off a bit, you haven't had it in the fridge, and it's smelling a little funny, you heat it up and put a bunch of soy sauce on it to make it edible. Ah! You see, so I was saying, your rice is really inedible, I have to add something to it. Now, it is an honest mistake, but I thought about that. If she came to our home... And I served fresh rice, and she put soy sauce all over it. What would she be saying? You don't know how to cook this stuff. You see, it's the same action, but the outcome is different because of the intention, or because of what you know or don't know. So, there's things that happen. Now, we were in in Rwanda, and and we were on the side of a mountain, and they served us uh, a, a real special treat. It was naturally fermented milk. In, in Rwanda, they don't eat pork, mostly because they don't know how to cook it. But they don't eat pork, and, it, and it's really looked down upon for people to eat pork. So they, they brought my wife and me each a big jug of this naturally fermented milk, and they were waiting to watch us drink it because it was a special treat, and we were honored, honored guests. What are you going to do? Hmm... So my wife and I, we each took a little sip of our fermented milk and said, Mmm. (laughs) 
And we looked around, we observed, observed there's about 200 people and there's only six of us that have this flask of fermented milk. We says, can we share this with you? <gasps> Would you really? That's amazing. So we graciously shared our fermented milk with people and they thought we were amazingly wonderful. But then uh, sometime later, we were sitting with a guy who owns lots of cows and cows are their pride and joy. And again, I was served this milk in front of him and I thought, oh, come on, how blessed can I be? (laughs) But the good news was there was bananas and mango and sugar on the table. And I thought, ah, fruit smoothie, here we go. So I mashed up my bananas and put it in the milk. I mashed up the mango and the sugar and put it in milk, stirred it, stirred it. And everybody's saying, Dave, what are you doing? What are you doing? You can't do that. You can't do that. It's, a, it's like putting soy sauce on rice. <laughs> ah. So I says, well, we just got to get used to it and, and get over it. What I'm saying is there's culture and there's God's Word. And they're different lots of times. And sometimes we say, well, culture will tell us what God's Word means. And if that's the case, then then there's a lot of things that you're all doing wrong because I've been in different cultures where they say we're wrong. For example, how you girls are all dressed. No, you're, you're not Christian. Culture says you're not Christian. The Bible doesn't, but culture does. So where are you going to go? Where are we going to go to decide what is true or not true? Elmer said, salt of the earth. We are to be the salt of the earth. And he's right. You are the salt of the earth. And Jesus also said you are to be the salt of the earth. And he says, what happens when the salt becomes unsalty, untasty? And also Paul says, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so you'll know how you should respond to each person. Now salt is an interesting thing. I encourage you when you read God's Word to notice sometimes themes. See, there's a principle in reading God's Word that it can't mean today something it didn't mean when it was first written. Okay? It can't mean today something it didn't mean when it was first written. So when I was a youth, I went to church, and we were told in church that the Bible tells us that any electronic instruments and rock and roll music were bad. I don't see electronic instruments in the Scripture or rock and roll music. Maybe I do, but in a good, good way. I don't know. But what we're taught, what are we taught to believe? Now, the other thing to realize, we're saved by grace, and we have to remember to be gracious with each other. But I just want to take this theme of salt. When God communicates something to us in the Scriptures, how do we hear it? How do we hear some of the stories in Scripture? Sometimes we read a story in Scripture, we say, this is just crazy. I mean, God has got to be nuts to do this. I would do a better job than He does. And so we evaluate God based on our opinion of it, and we determine what's right or wrong. God will not be judged. He is the one who will judge in the end when Jesus comes home. So there's salt. Interestingly, salt is mentioned in Genesis, it's mentioned in many portions of Scripture, and it's in Revelation. So we have a a theme throughout Scripture of salt, but what in the world does salt mean? Well, 
in the east, now that's interesting. In, again, in Rwanda, when I was speaking, I was, I was talking about the east or in the west, and people wouldn't get me, wouldn't get me. They didn't understand what I was talking about. Because in the east for them was like 100 miles east, that's east. Eastern culture they didn't connect with. It's like me over here saying, well, in the east, and you're thinking, oh, in Kenora? Kenora's the east? No. Or in the west? Oh, that's Brandon. Brandon is the west? No. It's ways of communicating where a culture does or doesn't get you. Anyway, the, the culture in the east says that salt, the salt covenant is a promise of fidelity. It says, I, I will trust you. So if I go into a house and you serve me some food and the food has salt in it, what you're saying is, you can trust me. And I'm saying, yes, you can trust me as well. So there's a bond formed, unspoken, but it is assumed. Just like this Chinese woman assumed I was saying something bad with the soy sauce, the salt formed is a bond that's formed that's assumed. And what that bond says when I'm in the house that I'm now your guest, and even if you commit a criminal offense, I won't betray you. No matter what you do, I won't betray you. I'm your friend, I will protect you. And you as the host, you will say, no matter what, I will protect you. No matter what it costs, I will protect you. It's a bond in the culture. And I might try to persuade you to to do what is right. But the interesting thing is the bond is so strong. And if we realize that in this culture, when Scripture is written in the Eastern culture, what do some of the things that we see in Scripture mean? Well, in Judges chapter 4, 17... To 21, there's a story of Deborah, who is a leader, and she tells Barak to go and fight a battle so that he's going to get the credit instead of her. And so the story is fought between Sisera and Barak. Those are the two fighters. And Sisera runs away, and she come, he comes to the tent of Jabel, and, Jabel and, and Heber. These guys were neutral. I'm going to maybe change their names so they're a little more palatable for me. So we got two nations that are fighting, two guys that couldn't agree, and I can tell you probably what they were fighting over was which way should the toilet paper be. Hmm? Now that's worth fighting for, right? It's interesting when you look at the root of some wars, how ridiculous they are. Absolutely ridiculous. Oh, you offended me, offended and offended, and the next thing a king is offended and, and wars happen. But here we have Jael, who's this woman, or, or, or the man, and, and Sisera, they're neutral. These guys are fighting over there, those guys are fighting over there. And in the middle of this fighting, there's a guy from one side that comes to the tent. He's running away and trying to hide, and he comes to this tent where these neutral people are. And she says to him, hey, how's it going? He says, not so good, they're after me, they're out to get me. And she says, come into the tent you'll be safe here. Now, so the, the covenant of safety is invoked. It's assumed by you inviting that person into her tent. She invites into the tent, you can be safe. Now there's this interesting thing that you need to know about women in ancient times. And that was this, that the women had a special place that was for them. So in the tent, even if you're tenting, there's a veil in the tent a separate division, and that was the woman's room. Nobody's allowed in that room. 
ever. That's her space. That's safe and sacred. You don't go in there. Culture. You see, we need to know what the culture is. So the... So this guy comes to the tent, and she says to him, come on in here, you can sit over here, and then she covers him with a blanket, so somebody looking for him won't be able to see him. So there's the second point of covenant, the covenant of safety in my home, the covenant of I cover you with a blanket, so that he's safe. And then he says to her, can you stand at the front, at the gate, or at the mouth of the tent and if somebody comes to get me can you lie for me can you tell them I'm not here and of course she will because the culture says you must culture says you must I will lie for you I'll protect you so there he is he's in the tent covered by the blanket and she's given her word and what happens is a bizarre thing the seriousness of this covenant is illustrated by Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember when Lot was in Sodom and, and these two guys come and they want to have access to the, the men angels that were there and Lot says, no, don't take them, take my two virgin daughters instead. And we read that and we go, how incredibly wrong is that? We need to understand the culture says, I have given you safety in my home. And there's nothing I won't do to protect you. Nothing. I will lose everything. My whole family, my life, everything to protect you who are a guest in my home. So that's the, the, the rule that's in, in vogue. So they come and then the guy in the tent, back to the guy in the tent says, I'm a little bit thirsty. Can you give me some water? And so the woman opens the flask and gives him milk. He asks for water, but she gives him milk. Now this is, milk has salt in it. So there's the fourth covenant invoked. He's covered under four covenants of safety. And I give you the Lot story so you understand how serious, how seriously the host takes protecting the one that's in the home. The guy that's in the tent is still nervous. Now you said you'd protect me, you said this would be good, but will you really? Will you really? And so then what happens is he doesn't quite trust her. And so he goes into the women's quarters to hide. And the amazing thing is that even if the police come and have a search warrant for your tent, they're not allowed in the women's quarters. That is her space. You're not allowed there. And, and so... He hides in the woman's quarters. So then she comes back in. She sees that he's in the woman's quarters. And scripture tells us that she took out a long spike and ran it through his temple. Whew, that's pretty serious, right? To violate the woman's quarters meant you were wishing death upon yourself. It was such a sacred place to protect the women. So what she had done is she took a long nail. He was lying on the in her tent and she drives the nail through his temple and welds him to the ground and he's dead pretty harsh right so her husband comes back and she says here he is right over there the other people come and say here he is he's in the tent and nobody's upset 
Because where he has been found, he's done it to himself. He deserved to die. He's, he, he shouldn't have been there. He should have been protected. That story of jail and her, the woman in the tent, we read it and we see it and it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense from our culture. But when you understand the culture over there, now it all of a sudden makes sense. Or Lot and what happened there, it doesn't make sense until we understand the culture. Now in this culture of salt, Jesus comes. Jesus comes to this earth and he's welcomed into this earth. And there's a covenant assumed protection for him, which was betrayed, as you well know. Then Jesus comes and he, he eats with people. He says, let's have a meal together. Let's eat together. And every time you eat together, it's a covenant of salt. We're covenanting to be together. At the Last Supper, Judas is there, and they're putting their hand in the dish together. What the action is, it's saying we're together. We're saying, I will die for you. Everybody's saying, I will die for you. We will die for each other. It's a covenant a strong commitment. And as Judas is eating with Jesus, he's planning on betraying him. Jesus, just before the cross, at the communion time, he says to everybody, why don't you all eat together? And as often as you do this, remember me. So he serves the food together. And what he's saying to us is you need to be together. You need to covenant together and understand you need to be with each other and for each other. So, if I got something to complain, and if I got issues with one of you, I got no business complaining to other people. I can complain to God all I want. He says, tell me about it. Tell me about it. So if you got issues with your mom and dad, or your teacher, or your pastor, or youth leader, anybody, you tell God all about it. Write in a journal, write out copious pages about how evil and vile they all are. Just go for it. And then when you're done, you close it and you treat that person with respect and dignity. And you submit to the Lord. And and you pray. I love the skit that was just done here. Greg representing Jesus Christ. And when all this stuff is happening, he's praying. The Lord Jesus lives to intercede on our behalf. And he invites us to intercede for others in the situation. And to tell them about it. So what happened in the in the dipping of the hands in, in the food, in the bread together, there's the covenant that we're together. So today we're going to eat together, right? And I want you to think about that. If we are in Eastern culture or thinking about that, the simple fact that we're going to take a meal together means we're together. And in that culture we'd be saying... I'm a safe person. I'll protect you. I'll die for you. And Jesus came to this earth to show us what that meant. We read in John, he says, He came and made himself at home with us, and he invites us to make ourselves at home with him. So what does that mean? Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, our Messiah, our King, and our identity is tied to the Father, our Father in heaven. His spirit is in us, the vine and the branches. He says, 
I want you to produce much fruit. We have a grapevine in our backyard, and I cut off lots of stuff that grows on it, and in a day it's all brown and dead. And he says, you cannot produce fruit unless you're attached to the vine. And too many times we try to produce fruit, but we're nowhere near the vine. We're not connected. Because if you're not connected, you're not going to produce anything. And if you're connected and you're producing, you can't be proud about it because you didn't do it. You're simply connected. So that's, that's the key to it. So study the scripture, but ask what did it mean then and what does it mean now? And so often I hear people say, well, Dave, you're just taking it out of its... You have to understand Scripture by today's culture because it means something different today than it did then. No. No. It doesn't. And typically what I find is if there's something I read in Scripture that I don't like, then I'll say, well, it's culturally irrelevant because I don't like it. Now, one of the keys is when they came to Jesus and they said... Okay, which rules should we keep? How do we live this way? And he says, i got two rules for you. My wife and I used to be youth leaders back when we were closer to the age of the youth. And we had two rules for the youth, pardon me, three rules. Rule number three was, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Doesn't matter. Just go for it. Rule number one was, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Rule number two is love your neighbor as yourself. And then do what you want. Because that encapsulates everything. So when we come to Scripture and we're doing things or asking questions, let's ask, go back to rule number one. Do I love the Lord? Do I love my neighbor? Or am I after something myself? And way back when this was happening, there was, there was issues of the kind of music you listen to and could a girl, earrings, girls wanted earrings, and it was a big deal where we were. This is a long time ago. And so the youth came to us and says, show us biblically that it's not wrong to have earrings. I said, well, what are the rules? Do as you please. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. He says, where do you live? At home. With who? Mom and dad. Who pays for everything? Mom and dad. Whose roof are you under? Mom and dad. Whose rule is it? Mom and dad. So you want me to tell you your mom and dad are wrong? No, submit. Submit. And submission is not submission if you agree. You see, if you agree with somebody, so I'll gladly, if your mom says, I want you to get earrings. Now, oh, I'll submit to that. That's not submission. It's when you want to get earrings and she doesn't want you to, that's submission. And Jesus demonstrated that too. When he's going to go to the cross and he says, Father... I really don't want to do this. Is it possible to not go to the cross? And the father says, no, you have to go. And he says, okay, I'll submit to you. I'll submit. And he demonstrated laying down his life in covenant for us. And the question is of us, are we serious about this stuff? Do we understand that Christ gave his life for you and me. And he says, I want my life to be in you. And if we say, yes, 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 okay, you need to be serious about this because it cost Jesus everything. And my friends, it'll cost you everything.
everything. But you haven't started living until you've experienced and encountered the living, risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And He will guide you and direct you and show you the way to go. I think my time is about up. So then I'll stop. I once heard there's an anointing to bring, to preach, and there's anointing to shut up. <laughs> and so the, the trick is in knowing which, one, which anointing you're under, right? <laughs> so Greg, is there a worship team? I mean, what's the protocol happening here? There is or is not. Darian, are you going to make an application? I'm, but before you, I'm just going to pray. Just before I pray, um, I just want you guys to know I'm, I'm thrilled to see you here. Absolutely thrilled to see you here. See you guys worshiping and moving around. And if you're anything like most teenagers I know, there's all kinds of issues and struggles and hassles. Welcome to life. I want to encourage you to not be alone. Sometimes you think you're, nobody cares, and, and you're alone, and you can feel alone. And make, make choices that hurt you and other people when you're alone. That's a lie. You're not alone. You're not. And just like in the skit here, when when you cry out and Jesus comes in and, and takes over, you cannot live this life. It's impossible. But you need to understand that. And be honest. You, you can't get it all together and say, now I'm going to live for the Lord. That's not honest, because you can't ever get it all together. But honesty means, I can't get it together. Boy, am I messed up. Or you talk to your pastor or mentor or youth leader, the, the safe person, and tell them the things that you're doing wrong. Yet again, yet again. Week after week, the same thing. Don't ever give up. The ones you don't, and don't pretend. It's the pretending stuff that's really nasty. Just be real. Just be real. Father, I thank you so much. You came to this earth. Jesus, you came to this earth as a baby. You were 12 years old. Jesus, you were 12 years old. And you went to the temple and you were misunderstood by your parents. You know how that feels. Jesus, none of your family believed that you were really God's son. His siblings anyway. Until after you died and rose again. You know what it's like to not be understood. But Jesus, you, you communicated with your Father in heaven every day. He says, I only do what my Father tells me to do. And Father, I thank you for the gift of your Son, who then died, entrusting himself completely into your hands. He says, okay, I'm going to die here. Can I trust you? He says, yep. And he died, went into the grave, and was proven trustworthy when he rose again. Then he says, I'm going to come back. 
But I got to go so that my spirit can be with you. Because I want to be with everybody everywhere all the time. And as a man, I can only be at one place at one time. But I'm going to send my spirit and he's going to be with you. Jesus, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for different cultures, different times, and that we can gain an understanding of your word. Father, that we have your written word. I thank you for that so much. So, Father, bless these youth and this church together for your glory. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Help us to remember that we're saved by grace and we need to be gracious. Thank you. Amen.